Hi, everyone. I'm JJ Hornblast, and welcome to Fintech Unfiltered, the podcast from Bank Innovation, the leading digital news service on banking and fintech. Uh, this is our weekly wrap for what's happening in banking innovation this week. And before beginning, I want to thank our bank innovation advertisers, Mambu, Cardlinks, and OneSpan for their support. So thank you so much to them. And I am happy to be joined by Bianca Chan, the Deputy Editor of Bank Innovation. Welcome, Bianca. It is Thursday, November 19, 2020. This week, early data showed that uh, Moderna's coronavirus vaccine um, recorded a 94.5% uh, effective rate uh, which means that both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines uh, have efficacy rates above 90%. President Trump uh, continued to try to unwind the election day vote. We also saw U.S. home sale numbers for October. They hit a 14-year high. The CDC this week urged Americans to avoid Thanksgiving travel next week. And finally, an Indonesian man turned an unusual bit of property damage into a fortune when he sold the meteorite that crashed through his roof for over $1 million. He was working outside his home in Sumatra, Indonesia when the meteorite crashed through the roof of his house and then landed outside. When he picked it up, it was still hot and he sold it for over a million dollars. That is not the news out of the FinTech world. The, and the FinTech world, uh, one of the big news stories was AWS, Amazon uh, Web Services, winning the cloud computing contract, a five-year deal from Standard Charter Bank. Um, Bianca, give us some background on this deal and explain, please, why Standard Chartered should have such significant cloud computing contracts with both AWS and Microsoft's Azure. Yeah, well, it's the idea that um, a bank doesn't want to get locked into a single cloud provider. Um, that just sounds way too risky in terms of, you know, having at least a portion of your processing go, you know, tied into a, a single provider. Uh, so the background on this deal here is, yes, a five-year deal, as you mentioned, between Standard Chartered and AWS. Uh, Standard Chartered was already using uh, AWS tools to um, build out some of its new digital banking initiatives like banking as a service and also its virtual bank uh, mocks in Hong Kong. Um, and this is basically just part of their multi-cloud uh, strategy or goal to have almost every single application running on the cloud by 2025. The systems that won't make it to the cloud are those connected to the mainframe. Those will remain on premises um, till the end of life. I mean, if you have redundancy like this across the cloud uh, applications, where you have every single application in redundant format, 
I mean, where, at what point does it not become cost beneficial to a standard charter bank at, at the scope of standard charter? I mean, what they have over 700 billion, Before, I think, yeah. mm -hmm. of, of assets. So, um, you know, one of the largest banks in the world. So, you know, at, at what point does this sort of, you know, the, the benefits kind of uh, get outweighed by the financial uh, costs? I think uh, it's pretty cost efficient for to achieve this idea of fault tolerance, which is maintaining performance, you know, in the face of error. So you see that in the way that Standard Charter has kind of laid out, um, you know, it's decentralization of applications across on-premises and then across AWS and Microsoft Azure, but also within AWS, let's just say, they've actually split um, split it up by region. So they have four regions where they're tapping AWS's technologies and, and data centers. That's, uh, and, and it's interesting because they've paired up two uh, geographically close locations. So you have, um, you've got Hong Kong and Singapore, and then you also have the UK and Ireland. Uh, so the idea with this is between, within each region, cloud providers have uh, several availability zones. So standard chartered is using a couple of availability zones within one region. So that's, let's mm -hmm. say if, you know, availability zone one and three go down, they still have two up and running. But then also the idea of coupling geographically close locations is let's just say all of AWS Singapore goes down, AWS Hong Kong should be able to pick up that load um, so that standard chartered can maintain, you know, its own operations, even in the face of something horrible happening, like, yeah, so would you expect this sort of cloud-based, full end-to-end -end application global redundancy to become the norm in banking? I don't know as far as how close we can actually get to end-to-end, -to -end, but I do I do see a ton of banks, you know, putting a lot of investment into. Um, you know, this migration to cloud. So I do think that it's definitely top of mind. I mean, you hear Cap One, Regions also has a goal in, in this regard. So it's just, it's interesting to see. I think it's a lot more cost efficient in terms of stand, like being able to innovate more quickly, stand up new applications using the, the tools that the cloud providers um, offer. Uh, N26, the German challenger bank this week, uh, disclosed that they have some plans for a, a, a credit card product in the U.S. What's driving N26 to, uh, and, and first of all, is this, uh, is it confirmed that they're going to be launching this credit card product? And if so, like what is driving them to uh, launch this product? So at this stage, it's, it's still just exploration. It's something that they're thinking about launching is what the CFO said at the Future of FinTech uh, event hosted by CB Insights this week. Um, and what's driving it is, so it's interesting. So N26 operates in 25 different markets. And obviously, you know, the, the, the needs across all these demographics are the same in that, you know, they need somewhere to move money. They need somewhere to place money. These these very basic sort of things, but there's nuances among the different demographics and what they're learning since coming to the US um, August 2019 is that it, the US population is uh, credit hungry, right? And so I think that they're seeing that, that um, learning that sort of behavior is driving this decision. But 
it, it's a really competitive field in the U.S. Like, of course, there's there's a ton of opportunity, but how much of that opportunity N26 can actually grab is questionable. So they've they've gained 500,000 U.S. accounts in the first year. They haven't released figures sooner than August 2020. So so in in this past year, they've you know they've more than doubled, I guess, from January time. But looking at Chime, Chime's reached 10 million customers as of September 2020, and that's doubled year over year. Chime is also also already offers a credit product. Um, in terms of like cash advances, I was looking into a couple of other different challenger banks in the U.S. to get a mm -hmm. a scope of the competitive landscape. So Chime, Current, Dave, Moneyline, they all offer cash advance products. As far as credit cards, Chime, SoFi, Moneyline, which has six million customers, is you know ramping up a point of sale lending operation to hit the market uh, first quarter twenty twenty one. So, I think. I mean, it makes sense to launch a credit card product in the U.S., but how much market share, you know, that's going to garner N26 when it's playing with these really, you know, big challenger banks is up for debate. There's not much differentiation there, mm -hmm. is what you're saying. I, I, you know, it was interesting. There was a line in the, uh, in your story. Uh, this was the CFO who said. Um, we have a profitable customer base in Europe. In the U.S., it's a very different thing. Um, and he added that the main focus for the U.S. is growing the customer base and improving the user experience, meaning to the exclusion of profitability, at least for now. Um, this seems like it's going to be a very, you know, I, I, well, let's say it this way. A credit card product is not going to be a panacea in this regard. Uh, we have, there are plenty of credit card providers in the United States. There is no dearth of credit card providers in the United States. So, um, I mean, to what degree is this really going to work? And um, is your sense from kind of the overall challenger bank market that profitability is going to be elusive for most of these providers? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, profitability among challenger banks, I'll tackle that one first. Um, a lot of analysts have said that that kind of hinges on having their customers use the challenger bank account as the primary account. Um, so we've seen challenger banks like Chime who say who says that half of their customer base does use the Chime bank account as their primary account, but you see them incentivize this. So they say, you know, you can have your paycheck two days early if you link us to your direct deposit. So we're seeing, I think, some signs where maybe this is working like Chime, but I really think that it, it's a hard it's a hard thing to sell as a challenger bank when you have these incumbents that are just so well entrenched in, in the consumer's mind, you know? So I really think that there's like this trust factor. Oh, sorry, what was the first part of your question? Is the product gonna really make oh. a significant difference in their profitability? Right, um, well, I think, I don't think so, but I think in order to kind of keep up with the rest of the more well-established competition that they're playing with in the U.S., it makes sense that they would want to add that. It's almost becoming like table stakes. It might look it might look a little suspicious or funny if if 
they weren't offering, you know, or if they weren't kind of expanding more further into banking services? You know, yet the, the, the market, I'm saying sort of the general startup market uh, has in the United States has re rewarded companies that have been able to uh, secure a notable customer base um, with high valuations. I mean, we've seen this repeatedly. So um, it might not be an issue around profitability immediately, but just uh, valuation and continuing to pursue venture funding that improves that, that valuation metric for these companies. Um, yes, that's my, yeah. Uh, Bianca, so what, uh, what, what do you have a plan for next week? Next week, we're going to be running our, uh, our November edition of Five Questions With. I'm going to keep my mouth shut on who, who that's with. Um, and we're also going to be looking at how banks are revamping their, their mobile platforms, taking a page out of social media platforms and how, how banks are trying to maintain or capitalize on that, that mobile traction that we've seen um, over the pandemic. And I wanna encourage everyone to uh, check out the Emerging FinTech Directory on bank innovation, which has uh, over 200 really cool uh, FinTech startups in the directory that are worth checking out and of course, um, uh, visit with us on Twitter and LinkedIn, and um, and of and on bankinnovation.net uh, to get all our coverage. Thank you all so much for joining us uh, for this edition of FinTech Unfiltered. We will see you next time.